Before we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, uh, I, I love this story because what we're about to engage in is what I call a convergence of, uh, of two forces um, coming to a certain point and creating a collision. And in this story, we're going to see a convergence of, of two lives hitting a collision and, and the, the contact point where they both smash is Jesus. Uh, they both run into him and, and conversions, uh, you know, where you, you, you hit something is usually painful and dangerous, but in this case, it's, uh, it's a convergence, but it's also a, uh, a conversion. It's an amazing picture of these two lives as they intersect in the person of Christ. And yet they both have needs, desperate needs. Uh, they're both delaying one another. And yet the Lord ministers to both in a very profound way. And so that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. So please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to pick up at verse 18. While Jesus spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshiped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose and the report of this went out into all the land. And then I want to read this to you. So you have an understanding of what this woman with the flow of blood for 12 years is dealing with. This is out of Leviticus. You don't have to turn there. It's chapter 15. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity, and she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity, and whatever she sits on shall be unclean, as the uncleanness of her impurity, and whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening." So this woman for 12 years has been isolated. Anyone who touches her is unclean. Anyone who sits where she sat is unclean. Any, her husband can't lay in the bed with her. It's, everything is unclean. And this is this woman's life for 12 years. It's miserable and lonely and awful and isolated. And then coming into a convergence with a man whose daughter is dead, who's 12 years old. And we're going to see how the Lord ministers to both. Father, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. Holy Spirit, you know that there's needs in this room. And some folks are willing to lose everything and others have just thought, Lord, what must I do? I've tried everything. And God, we see this picture in both of the folks in this passage. And I pray today, Lord, that we'd realize that the point of contact for all of us is you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. Minister now, Lord, we pray according to your riches in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please be seated. Matthew gives an account of this story of the convergence of these two lives, and he does kind of a Reader's Digest version. He doesn't go into great detail. Luke and Mark go into greater detail. Luke, being a physician, actually gives greater insight. Mark, from Peter's account, gives other insights. And, um, for example, in Luke 8, uh, he writes, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years. We didn't know that in relation to Matthew's account, who had spent all of her livelihood on physicians, could not be healed by any 
Uh, Luke is saying doctors had really run the course and they had nothing left and they didn't know what to do for her and she was completely out of money. Mark says, now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. Mark adds the suffered part where Luke, the physician, leaves that out. Um, She had spent all that she had and was no better, uh, but rather grew worse. And so really what they were doing for her was making it worse as opposed to making it better. And as we saw in Leviticus chapter 15, what, what this condition had done for her, and when Mark uses the term fountain of blood, she is massively anemic. Uh, you can't tell where her face ends and her lips begin. She is pale. Uh, she's in a terrible state of affairs, continually bleeding. Uh, her iron levels are low. We have, you know, I, I don't know the medical aspects of it. I just know that iron has something to do with it. My brother has a, um, a condition called hemochromatosis. It's what they call bronze disease. Uh, his blood is iron rich. And so he always looks like he's tan. Um, and, and so he has to go for a bloodletting, literally, where they have to drain his blood so that they try to create anemia so that his iron levels balance out. And his blood is so iron rich, it'd be great if he could get some to this woman. Although she'd end up bald like my brother. And I, I just don't think that, uh, I thought that was funny. I just had to throw that in there. I'm, I'm his younger brother. I have to jab him now and then. But, but here, this woman, uh, her iron levels are low. She's anemic, uh, 12 years, basically a fountain of blood. And she has spent everything she's had. She's done everything she can. She has nothing to lose at this point because she's already lost it all. She has nothing to lose because she's already lost it all. Let me repeat that. She has nothing to lose because she's lost it all. The physicians have all of her money. They've made her worse. I was going through certain areas of the Talmud where they had remedies. There was over 11 that were listed, and they were just absolutely bizarre. And what she had to go through and the hoops that she had to deal with. And, and any of you who have faced a terminal illness, any of you have had a condition that uh, you know, doctors can't seem to remedy, um, if, if, if at times from the pulpit I'll, I'll share with the congregation of somebody's struggle, I'll immediately get a number of people coming up saying, I want you to read this. They have to go to this website. This is like this. And, the, and all well-intentioned, but this flood of information comes in across the spectrum. And anyone who's faced a terminal illness has had to deal with that. And, and especially when the doctors have given you a, you know, a death sentence. Uh, and, and it seems as though from a worldly perspective, there's no hope. And everyone wants to bring hope, so they have alternative remedies and ideas. And, and oftentimes, as I, I look at that as a pastor, early on, I, I would want to put forward this and try to remove my bias. And, but what I've come to realize is I, I'm not a disseminator of that information. I leave that to the folks. And what I'm telling them to do is press into the Lord, this convergence of pressing into Christ. Because the Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom... He need but ask of the Lord, the Lord will give freely to him who asks. And you're going to need wisdom. Now, there's going to be a number of folks that have thoughts for you and things that worked for them or, you know, considerations or things that they've read on the internet or, or things that they've experienced and they're well-intentioned and they, and some of them may or may not work. But, but my thought is God knows, ask him, he'll, he'll guide and direct you to the right people. And, um, in our congregation, one person in particular, uh, you know, by a diagnosis of the doctor, not given much hope. And I, and I know well-intentioned, I, I'm deliberately kind of keeping that out so that, you know, the influx of information is minimal. And, and as I'm watching the spouse of this person, continually when I'm driving out of the church, I see them walking and praying. And I, I know right there that the wisdom is being given from the Lord because they're pressing in, they're converging into Christ. And, and, and basically, 
you know, I, I, there's, I have, I, I have nothing to lose. So God, show me what I'm supposed to do. And, and then the reports come back that, that things are going well. And this is fascinating. I, I think about our own Scott Berman, Dr. Berman, who he, he was given a life sentence. You're, you're done. It, it, you know, it's, it's, you're going to be dead soon. And here he's completely healed. And it's a miracle of the Lord. Uh, no way to describe it. Do, uh, physicians are baffled. Um, and, and this is the idea of converging and pressing into Christ where you, you, you have nothing to lose. Um, and, and in some cases, people can take great advantage of you when you have nothing to lose. Um, they'll figure out there's still stuff you can lose and they're going to take it from you. Um, and they're going to maybe take it from others who love you and are well-intentioned that'll, you know, l- lend you the money to, to do these things. And there are charlatans out there. But the wisdom has to come from God. And this woman realizes this is the, this is the place I must go. And in a crowd, as they're pressing in, as, as Mark and Luke point out, the crowd's pressing in. And as they're pressing in, the throngs are around Jesus. And this woman, according to Leviticus 15, anyone she touches is unclean. So she's got herself concealed. She doesn't want anyone to see her, her pale face and her anemia. She's bundled up and, and she's mumbling to herself. Matthew gives a brief description of it, but Mark and Luke go deeper. She's basically repeating over and over, if I can just grab the hem of his garment, if I can just grab the hem of his garment. She's repeating this to herself, almost mumbling like Rain Man, definitely got to get my underwear, Kmart, definitely got to get my underwear, and trying to press in to, to grab the hem of, of Jesus's garment. And as she's hitting people left and right, in the course of this, before she gets to Jesus, uh, this, this, the priest of, of the synagogue uh, Jarius, and he's the priest of the synagogue in Capernaum, which we're going to we're going to go in November. And by the way, last week we had close to sixty people come out for this. This is going to be a spectacular trip. If you are still considering, you got to sign. It's going to be remarkable. So we're going to go to Capernaum, and as we studied in the book of Matthew, the basalt foundation of this one of the oldest synagogues in the world was built by a Roman centurion, um, and and blessed the Jews. Well, this man Jarius is the is the teacher of this synagogue. He is the leader of the synagogue. Everyone knows, and, and he's been sitting in the front row. He's the one that when they lowered the, the paralytic through the roof, he was the one judging Jesus and sitting there and parsing every word he was saying. And he's a religious leader with a doctorate and he's concerned about uh, Jesus. And, and he, you know, he, he's got a, he's got control over the community. And this guy is, you know, taking control and everyone's pressing in. And, and unlike the woman with the issue of blood, Jarius, uh, the, the woman with the issue of blood has nothing to lose. Jarius, on the other hand, has everything to lose. If, if he approaches Christ and publicly says, I need your help, he's finished. He has everything to lose. He loses his religious position, similar to, to Nani pointing out that she cannot go into a Muslim country. She's finished there. This is what's going to happen with Jarius. He has everything to lose. This woman has nothing to lose. Convergence. And what brings us to this place of desperation? Well, a woman with a flow of blood, a fountain of blood for 12 years, anemic, dying, broke, penniless, taken advantage of, isolated, lonely, sad. And then a man who's losing his daughter and his mark and Luke point out she's 12 this is the point where a girl becomes a woman. This is her bat mitzvah. This is where she is now becoming a woman. This is where she's going to have her menstrual cycle. And she's 12 years old, and she's about ready to start her menstrual cycle. This woman has had an endless menstrual cycle for 12 years. Convergence. And looking at this man, 
it says this ruler came and worshiped him. He, he publicly puts it all on the line. And he humbles himself before his countrymen, before his community. And he says, I'm putting it all on the line. You're my only hope. What would drive a man to that? A daughter? I have three of them. I would do the exact same thing. You know, when you're a father, there's something about a daughter. They look at you when they're young and you're bigger than life. You're like a hero. And they have this way of looking at you and the way they say daddy, it just melts you. And then, you know, they, they get older. <laughs> and along comes a stronger, healthier version of you. And they realize dad's got a furniture issue. His chest has moved into his drawers. <laughs> and they see this strapping hunk of hunk of burning love. And, and they think, well, you know, daddy's been a good covering and he's been strong and bigger than life and protected me from the monsters in the closet. And, and yet this guy, daddy's getting older. And I think this guy could carry it on. And he's a good provider like dad was. And he cares about me like daddy does. And all of a sudden her head turns. And for me as a father, that's, that's a, it's, a, it's a trial, but it's also a blessing because I'm looking for that guy. I'm realizing I'm fading. At 52, I, I hurt in places I never even knew I had. And, and uh, you, know, you start to realize, you know, that I'm not going to be able to do this much longer. And, and then you, you see a young man come along that loves the Lord you know that there'll be a covering for the grandkids and prayerful and a provider and work hard and it's honest. You see the character of the man and you see his heart for your daughter and he, he loves her the way you do and you, you start to think, okay, I see in you everything I've been praying for for these 20-something years. And it's an, it's an answer to prayer and, and the joy of, of hand, giving my daughter's hand and placing it in his and say, you got it from here on out. And here's the bills. And, and I, I send them on with that joy. Uh, I've done that twice. I've got another daughter that I, I'm scouting the horizon. You know, and you know, some guy cycles in. I'm like, you're not even close to what I'm looking for. Just move along. This dreamboat does not deserve a barnacle. And I, I've been blessed. I got Micah and James, and they're good men. They're good men. And, and I, I watch the way Micah is a father to Oliver, and it's just a, a blessing. And, and, and I, that joy. And there isn't, at, at 12, there wouldn't be, a, and, and the amazing thing about 12, for a young girl, when you raise girls, at 12, their body starts to change, and they realize it. And, and young guys are at a disadvantage because girls mature quicker. And you're like, I don't want anything to do with girls. I don't want anything to do with girls. I don't want anything. And all of a sudden, they're changing. You're like, I don't want anything to do with girls. And then you didn't ever want to think about them. Now you just can't stop thinking about them. And the way they do their hair and play, and they know perfume, right? And you're like, what, what is that? Something's wrong with me. I, I just, you know, and then they, they just paralyze you. And, and that's, they start to learn this at 12 and, and, and they're maturing and, and they start to realize that they're pretty and they're, they're looking around, they see their mom, they want to dress like her and gone are the cute little clothes and they're starting, you're not wearing, go back and put, put on a burqa. You're not wearing that. And, uh, and, and this, is, this is that stage where he's, he's starting to see 
his, his, the beauty of his wife coming out in, in the, the youth of his, of his daughter, and he, and he starts to see the characteristics, and, and his heart's soaring, and he's, there's joy, and the protective nature of it, too. Wait a minute. Why are you looking at her? You know, you'll be picking up your teeth with your broken arm. Don't. And this is that, that heart that you have as a father, and all of a sudden, uh, she, she, she's sick. And she's dying. And, and here, Matthew just says she's dead, but Mark and Luke say she was dying, and so he's, either way, they don't have, you know, monitors because they didn't have electricity. And all he's going on is basically listening for her breathing and, and feeling her hands get cold and watching her face go pale. And, and this is critical. And I've, I've got to get to Jesus before she's, she's stiff. I have to get there. And he's pressing through the crowds and he comes and he just, he just, he has everything to lose and he gives it. He just falls down in the presence of the entire community and he worships Jesus. And he cries out to him. He says, my daughter's just died. Come and lay your hands on her and she will live. All my faith is in you. It's, it's not my faith. It's the object of my faith. You, Jesus. I, have, I know the scriptures. I know religiosity. I know all the laws. I know every, but you, you are God. And, and re- whether or not the rest of the people recognize you as the Messiah, I am here to tell you, you're everything. And without you, I have nothing. And so I'm going to put it all on the line right here. I have everything to lose, but everything to gain. Because Jesus is the reason I am on this earth to be reconnected. Help me. And Jesus arose and followed him. And so did his disciples. Jesus says, let's go. Mark and Luke say, let's go. It's like urgency to it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go get her. We'll go lay hands on her. We'll take her by the hand. Let's go. And the disciples start going and the crowds are pressing in and pushing in. And the disciples are trying to keep a, you know, security detail around Jesus and they're pushing through and in the midst of it, everyone's, and, and you can imagine Jarius, get out of the way, get out of the way this way, follow me. And he's got the authority. He's wearing the outfit of authority. People are recognizing this as Jarius better move. And he's plowing through and, and come on, let's go, let's go. And in the midst of it, this woman mumbling, got to definitely get my underwear, Kmart, definitely. As she's mumbling, she's, I got to grab his hem. I got to grab the hem of his car. Grab the, she's bun, bumping people and she's trying to hide her face in the anemia and doesn't want anyone to know. And she reaches out and she grabs that thing. And the scripture says, takes a hold of it. Like, and, and, and Jesus stops. Jarius, come on, what? Let's go. Convergence, bam. And Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, who hasn't touched you? This is the stupidest question yet. <laughs> Everybody's touched you. No, 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 power's left me. Who touched me? And he makes eye contact with the woman. She looks through the veil and she's stone cold busted. And everyone realizes it's her. Oh, the rabbi has been defiled. He's out of circulation. Way to go. And she's just not letting go. And he looks at her and he says, be of good cheer. And the translation is, may a continual peace be upon you. And he uses a term that he doesn't use for another woman in the entirety of the gospels. He says, daughter. He says, daughter. Daughter, go in continual peace. Your faith has made you well. Not, not your faith, it's the object of your faith has made you well, me. And that woman was made well from that hour. Just the, the, her color came back. She knew it. And, and 
continually be at peace, daughter. Jarius, hurry up. Master, I've had this for 12 years. My daughter's 12 years old. She hasn't even had a chance to get to that stage in life. Okay, so you've had a flow of blood for 12 years. My daughter hasn't even been able to live past 12 years. Let's go. And Jesus calls her daughter. You can imagine what that did to Jarius. He, um, he thinks, okay, now she's your daughter. Priority precedent. Let's just stop the train for you. Convergence. When he calls her daughter, Mark points out that Jesus calls her forward to tell her story. Can you imagine Jarius? Are you kidding me? I've got to catch a plane at 12.05. I can't have Nani speak. I'm kidding. But you can imagine Jarius. And, and the, the concept in Mark is, give your, your testimony. She's getting cold. And she begins to tell her testimony, 12 years. I, I've, I've wasted all of everything I have. It's gone. And he says to her daughter, continual peace be upon you. It's this in term of endearment. Jarius is thinking to himself, I guess she's your daughter now. What about my daughter? She's at home dying. This convergence of these two needs. Why would Jesus do this? I just say right now, just scanning the room, it's very easy to grasp this, but I would say to all of us in the room, we've been at a place, no doubt, where we've been fervently praying for something very, very important. And it seems as though everyone else is getting Jesus's attention and their needs are being met, and we're still in the midst of a loved one dying, a need not being met. Seems like everyone else is a priority. That's a dangerous place to be. You tend to forget who you are and who God is. I have a video I want to show you. Do we have that? Can you run it? Check this out. This is Jim Carrey at the Golden Globes. It'll tie in, trust me. <laughs> About how insignificant we are, and I thought he did a marvelous job, and I'm going to keep talking till they can pull it up. Watch this. He did a marvelous job of putting it into perspective. From the upcoming film, True Crimes, please welcome two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Turned up. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey, going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough.
would finally be true. And I could stop this, this terrible search. For what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. <laughs> I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. <laughs> One more time, here are the nominees for Best Motion Picture. That's good. Nominee. Kind of puts it in perspective, right? If the universe were exploded, we couldn't find each other with the naked eye. And yet, this is what we live for. And so when we get to a place where we wonder if God's listening, and the convergence of watching other lives seem to have blessing and answered prayer, and we're going through a trial, I want you to know something. God is deliberate about what he's doing. He's working in a way to increase your faith that he is the object of your faith. The convergence, the center point is Jesus. I had the privilege of having lunch with a brother who was thrilled about employment. And then what seemed to be legit, all of a sudden there's a challenge to it. And then the fear kicks in. And I don't judge that because I feel it. God seems to be strong when it's going the direction we want. And then we doubt him when it's not lining up with the way we expect it to be. Ever since my boy Daniel, early on in his, in his life, said he wanted to be in the Naval Academy, Michelle and I have been praying. We did everything we could in our power to assist him in that capacity. Prayerful decisions along the way. He ends up getting a nomination the appointments will all be set by April 15th. He hasn't gotten what they call the TWE, the thin white envelope, which is a rejection letter. And he hasn't gotten the BFE, which is a big fat envelope that is uh, acknowledging your appointment. He's still waiting. And most of the congressional appointments have been made. They talk about the national wait list. They talk about naps and a bunch of other things. And every day I come to him and I say, have you checked your portal? Have you checked your email? Have you checked your portal? Have you checked your email? Have you checked your portal? Have you checked your email? And the day is a roller coaster like this. And I think to myself, Lord, I have prayed for this. He wants to be an officer. He want, this is what he wants to do. Lord, we've done everything. In our, we've laid this out. I, I, if, if this TWE comes through, Lord, I, come on now. And the anxiety that's involved in it. And the day passes where it hasn't come through. And, and I got to tell you, I, I, that, that video ministered to me in the span of eternity. Do you realize how insignificant what I long for my son is a relationship with the living God. That in the midst of the trial, he presses in. I have to acknowledge that he's the one who has faith. Dad, it's going to work out. And that's because the Naval Academy is a free education. He's been accepted to three universities that are 50 grand a year. I, I'm sure it'll work out, son. I'm sure it'll work out. Lord bless you, boy. But in the midst of it all, this is what's significant. God puts the brakes on Jarius because Jarius' world is about to get rocked. And he takes this woman 
And he places this woman right in the center of his life. A woman who had nothing to lose and he has everything to lose. A woman who's lost everything and a man who has everything, but doesn't have what he needs. A woman by faith who presses in and another man who gives up everything and falls to his face. And the two converge because Jesus is the point of contact and Jesus uses both to minister to each other. The woman in humility sees she's holding up the line and the man in frustration has to listen to her testimony. Wednesday nights, I've been taking the folks that come to Wednesday night service and you're all welcome through the hall of faith, Hebrews 11. It has been for me one of the most significant passages of scripture I have ever enjoyed in my entire 52 years on this earth. It has strengthened my faith. The story that that resonates with me is the illustration of going through the desert. You're dying of thirst. You come upon a, a ramshackled farmhouse or barn. It's dilapidated. There's a rusty old pump and it's just desolate desert as far as the eye can see. And you're dying of thirst. You run up to the pump and it's, it's dry. But hanging over the pump is a sign that says, read very carefully and follow the instructions exactly as described. And notice on the back of this white placard are all the names of everyone who can testify that these requirements work. It says the pump works. 25 yards underneath the white rock is a jar of water. Take the water, pour half of it on the leather strap and put the other half into the pump to prime the pump and you'll have plenty of water to drink. This pump still works. When finished, refill the jar, seal it and put it back under the white rock. Sign your name to the back of the placard to testify that it still works and put the date for those who would come after you. For all of us, we would get to that and we'd be dying of thirst and you think there's a jar of water, I'm taking it. Forget everybody else. But a testimony is exactly what it's meant to be, to testify to you that God is faithful. Nani came from the valley to be here to testify to you. This is a woman who lost her dad in 1956, killed by the IDF, converts to Christianity, and to come here to great threat to herself to testify. And don't think it wasn't painful or it still isn't. Don't think what she faces isn't overwhelming. It is. But her desire is that all would come after her would see that God is faithful and the pump works. Satiate yourself on this earth, but make sure you leave enough for the next person. That's what the hall of faith is in Hebrews 11. And it goes down the list of men and women that have lived a life to testify that God is good. And what the Lord did is he took this woman and he said to Jarius, trust me. She wondered where I was for 12 years. You're wondering where I am for 12 minutes. Let her finish. And as he hears the word 12 and he hears the word daughter, it's clicking. And the convergence of the two stories, and he starts to realize she waited on him for 12 years and God ministered to her and he can do it for me. And at that moment, I think it's Luke who says, the servants of Jarius came and said, don't trouble the master, your daughter is dead. Diagnosis from the doctor, three months. Whatever it is you were hoping for, the exact opposite happened. 
Are you prepared for that? What is the object of your faith? Is God a cosmic genie in the sky? If he doesn't do your bidding, you quit. He's faithful, trust him. And it was the testimony of this woman that strengthened Jarius at the convergence of the two lives that he could say, if he did it for her, he'll do it for me. And Jesus looked Jarius square in the eyes and he said, don't be afraid. Your daughter will be made well. And Jarius could say, I believe you because I saw what you did for her. And it settled him. You see, hearing this woman's story increased the faith of Jarius. That's why we live in community with one another. That's why we must encourage one another. Two lives converging on one person, Jesus. And we lead each other to that place and our stories help strengthen our faith. Her story built the faith of Jarius. He got there. And I'll close with this because it's, I'm limited on time and I'll just close with this. I get a kick out of the fact she's 12. Because Luke says that when he gets to that, when Jesus gets to the house, they have all the, the paid mourners and the flute players and the dirge, all minor keys. Everybody's sobbing and weeping and she's dead and they're wailing and he's approaching it just going, Jesus said it's going to be all right. Jesus, he says it's going to be all right. I can't listen. I just got to tune that out. My, uh, he will keep the imperfect peace whose mind is steadfast on thee. The Lord said it. I believe it. That settles it. You, you, you play your minor keys. I'm, I'm trusting Jesus. Okay, yeah, you've got all your diagnosis. I'm trusting Jesus. Okay, whatever. This is where I'm going. The Lord is on this. The woman, her testimony, I'm holding to that. God, you did it for her. You'll do it for my daughter. 12 and 12, daughter, daughter. I get this, God, please. Please, Lord. And Jesus gets in and he says, why are you all mourning her? She's not dead, she's asleep. They begin to mock the man. And Jesus does a play on words in the original language. It's almost like in the English, the vernacular would be, she's dead asleep. Yeah, she's dead asleep. She's cold, dead, stiff asleep. No, 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 she's dead asleep. She's not dead, she's sleeping. Dead asleep, but she's sleeping. And they're out there going, what? And he calms down the flute players and everybody else. And he goes in, he kicks everybody out except for mom and dad. And Jesus walks in and he uses a term he grabs her hand. He says, Talitha Kumi. He says, sweetheart, wake up. It's, it's the way that you'd wake your children up in the morning if they're not late for school, if you're tender. <laughs> you know, and you, you, you come into their room and they just look, you know, angelic. They look like cherubs. And they, they're, 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 the way they're doing, you know, even at their age, you still see them as an infant because even the way they yawn, they still did it like they were babies. And you're like, oh, and your heart's when He says, sweetheart, wake up. Love bug, wake up. Bug a shug, whatever your term is, you just wake them up with that little tender, you know, not if they're late for school. What do we get up? You don't understand. We're going to get the car. We're got breakfast waiting. You kids are up. Not like that. Not like that. It's, it's sweetheart, wake up. And, and, the, and the parents look as he's reaching in. He just grabs her hand and she. Daddy, why is he in our room? My room. What? What's going on? Why, why are you guys all. What are we doing today? I'm hungry. And she said that. She woke up, she goes, I'm hungry. It's just like every teenager. I'm hungry. It's like just empty holes that suck all of our wealth. 
And what's so cool about it is Jesus does a play on words, and I'll conclude with this. Jesus does his play on words with a little 12-year-old because at 12, 13 years of age, transitioning from a, a girl to a woman, you know, junior high, oh my gosh, junior high, I, I, can, I think I know what hell is. <laughs> Waking up and being in the seventh grade again. That would be awful. No offense to you, you only have to go through it once, and it's, it's character building. Anyways, I remember junior high, first day of class, scared to death. You have to switch classes. You don't have one teacher. A bunch of kids from other schools are coming from all the other elementary, and it's crazy. And you're nervous. You, you try down every outfit and just trying to make sure you, nobody can see you. You're invisible. And I'm walking to school, my heart's racing, and my brother, who's nine years older, he's a senior in high school, he pulls up in a 65 Mustang, hey, Rob, get in. I'm like, this will be great. I'll show up with my brother, he's a varsity athlete, 65 Mustang. Okay, okay, I get in the car. And I get up in the junior high, and all the buses are there from all the other elementaries, and I'm pouring the kids out in the quad, and it's just massive. And I'm like, yeah. And I pull up with my brother, and he leans on the horn. Hey, girls, Rob's here. Meep, 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 meep. Meep, 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 meep. He's here. And he's just going on. He won't stop. I learned at that point, just own it. You know, I just get, how you doing? Good to see you. On the inside, I'm like, I will, I want to die. And it took a while to live that down, thanks to my brother, and that's why I pick on him with the baldness and the varicose veins and his issues. <laughs> what Jesus did is he knew that this girl would go back to class, and at that age, they'd go, oh, that's the dead girl. And that would be the moniker she'd carry. But no, she's not dead. She's asleep. He was even concerned with her reputation, and he just mended it all. And I, I just leave you with this, that for all of us this morning, and I think about this, that we come to a place where we just absolutely struggle with trials in life. And I know you all have them. And I've heard some this week. But where are you with your faith? Are you converging on Christ? Is he the center point? Is, is this trial pushing you to the Lord? Or do you still want to try to figure it out and, and live in the practicality of man? And when they call and they give you the answer you weren't looking for, is that it? Is, is God's arm not long enough to help you? You deal with issues in your life and you, you've been plagued with them for years and you think there's no hope. I wrote this down. You've tried to deal with them in your own self-effort only to find that the flow is still there. The problem still persists. And I would say as I want to invite the worship team up, I would just say this. Today, Make a conscious decision to converge on Christ. Because that's really what he's called us to. That's the whole point of the story. If the Lord did it for Jarius and he did it with the woman with the issue of blood, he's doing it for us today. Converge on Christ. I don't know what you've heard. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what you're facing. I can tell you this, Christ is sufficient. And he will keep the imperfect peace whose mind is steadfast on thee. This is a testimony Jesus took time to let the woman give her testimony so that Jarius would be prepared. You have two testimonies. In addition to countless others in the congregation, encourage one another, strengthen one another, converge on Christ, 
He is everything. He is our hope. And he wants the best for you. And the best for you is not necessarily the roadmap you've laid out. He knows that you need to be delayed because there's going to be another wave coming and you're going to need the testimony of that woman to get you through it. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. We're Christians. We trust him. That's faith. Not faith in and of itself, but faith in the object who is Jesus Christ. Converge on him. That's a gift from the Lord to all of us today. Pray that in. We're going to worship. I'm going to have the prayer team up here. Whatever you're struggling with, come on up, pray. Converge on Christ. Lay it down. Trust him. You'll get a testimony maybe from some of the folks who will be praying with you. But we're going to trust him because God is faithful and what he does is good. Strengthen one another. Pray with one another. We're going to take time to do that. Let's stand. I want to invite the prayer team up. Lord, we thank you for your word and I pray that you would minister to hearts as we converge on you this day. We cast our cares on you for you care for us. And all the fears and the doubts, your word says, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. And you'll keep us in perfect peace as our mind is steadfast on you. We may think that there's doctors who can help us. We may think a number of things. We haven't come to the end of ourselves, But like the woman and like Jarius, we just lay it all on the line today and we converge on Christ. Lord, minister to us through prayer. Touch us, we pray. Strengthen our faith in the object of our faith, which is you, Jesus. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Let's worship.